Days 24 through 26 of Think Well on It by Bishop Richard Chaloner. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. 24th day, on the presence of God. Consider first that God is everywhere present. If I ascend into the heaven, says the psalmist, Psalm 130, verse 8, Thou art there. If I descend into hell, thou art there. He fills both heaven and earth, and there is no created thing whatsoever in which he is not truly and perfectly present. In him we live, in him we move. Our very being is in him. As the birds, wherever they fly, meet within the air, which encompass them on all sides, and as the fishes swimming in the ocean everywhere meet with the waters, so we, wherever we are, or wherever we go, meet with God. We have him always with us. He is more intimately present to our souls than our souls are to our bodies. Alas, my poor soul, how little have we thought of this, and yet it is an article of our faith in which we have been instructed from our very cradle. Let us seriously reflect on this truth for the future. Let us strive to be always with him who is always with us. Consider, secondly, that God being everywhere sees us wherever we are. All our actions are done in his sight, our very thoughts, even the most secret motions and dispositions of our hearts, cannot be concealed from his all-seeing eye. In vain does the sinner flatter himself in his crimes, saying, like the libertine mentioned by the wise man, Ecclesiasticus 23, that darkness encompasses him and walls cover him, and no one sees him whom he fears. Alas, the eyes of the Lord are infinitely brighter than the rays of the sun, and no darkness, clouds, walls, or curtains can screen us from his piercing sight, which, penetrating clearly, sees the very center of the soul. And no wonder he should clearly see what passes in the place where he is always present. Consider thirdly that God, who is in all places and in all things, is everywhere whole and entire, because he is indivisible. He is everywhere with all his majesty, attributes, and perfections. We have then within us, O my soul, the eternal, immense, omnipotent, self-existing, infinite Lord and Maker of all things, and we are with this infinite being, who accompanies us wherever we go. He is in all places by his omnipotence, to which all things are subject. What then have his friends to fear? He is everywhere with his infinite justice. How then can his enemies be secure? He is everywhere infinitely good to his children. His love and kindness to them surpasses that of the most tender mother. His providence watches over them. His wisdom wonderfully disposes of all things for their greater good. Oh, what comfort, then, must this thought of the presence of God afford his servants and those that truly fear and love him? Consider, fourthly, that God existing in all places requires of us that we should everywhere take notice of his presence. Can there be any object more worthy of attention? And shall we then be so unfortunately blind as to amuse ourselves with every trifle that falls in our way, and let God, the sovereign beauty and sovereign good, pass unregarded? Ah, let us never regret being alone, since we always have in our company the infinite being, the sight and enjoyment of whom is the eternal felicity of angels. What if we see him not with our corporal eyes? Is he the less present? But have we not more noble eyes, viz., the eyes of understanding, which, assisted by divine faith, ought to contemplate God, always present in the very midst of us? Ah, the sweetest repose is to be found in him, all other recreations are vain when compared to this. 
consider fifthly that god being everywhere present it is requisite that we should comport ourselves interiorly and exteriorly in such a manner as becomes those who are standing in his sight the very presence of a person for whom we have a respect is sufficient to restrain us from doing anything trivial or indecent and shall not the presence of the infinite majesty of god in comparison with whom the greatest monarchs of the earth are less than nothing restrain us in that exterior modesty and interior reverence which are so justly his due ought we not even to annihilate ourselves in the sight of this immense divinity but oh my god how far are we from these dispositions as often as we dare to sin in thy almighty presence and fly in the face of thy sovereign majesty alas my poor soul how much should we be ashamed to have our sins known to such persons whose esteem we covet we would be ready even to die with confusion to have them known to the whole world we would be very unwilling to have our vain and ridiculous amusements though otherwise innocent laid open to the eyes of our neighbors and why will we not consider the all-seeing eye of our great god which is always fixed upon us and clearly discerns all that passes in the most secret closet of our heart why will we not reflect that our evil thoughts being known to god is indeed a greater shame a greater loss of our true honor than if they were published by the sound of trumpet over the universe consider sickly that god being everywhere present everywhere requires our love he is everywhere infinitely amiable beautiful good perfect and at all times and in every place infinitely good to us why then do we not love him who is all love god is love says st john chapter four we have this loving and most lovely god continually with us and within us why do we not run to his embraces he is a fire that ever burns in the very centre of our souls how then comes it to pass that we feel so little of its flames it is because we do not approach it it is because we do not restrain our thoughts at home attentive to the great guest who resides within us but suffer them continually to wander abroad upon vain created amusements turn away my soul from all these worldly toys which keep thee at a distance from thy god psalm 144 return then to him who is thy true and only happiness for in him only thou wilt find everlasting repose twenty-fifth day on the passion of christ and first on our saviour in the garden of gethsemane consider first how the son of god who came down from heaven and clothed himself with our humanity in order to be our priest and our victim and to offer himself a bleeding sacrifice for our sins to his eternal father was pleased to begin his passion by a bloody sweat and agony in the garden of gethsemane the night before his death here having left the rest of his disciples at some distance and taking with him peter james and john who before had been witnesses of his glorious transfiguration on mount tabor he begins to disclose to them that mortal anguish fear and sadness which oppressed his heart my soul saith he is sad even unto death matthew twenty six that is with a sadness which even now would strike me dead if i did not preserve myself in order to suffer still more for you sweet jesus what can be the meaning of this didst thou not lately cry out speaking of thy passion and the desire that thou hadst of suffering for us i have a baptism wherewith i am to be baptized and how am i straitened till it be accomplished luke twelve whence then comes this present sadness was it not thou who hast given such strength and courage to thy martyrs 
as not even to shrink under the worst of torments, and art thou thyself afraid? But, O oh, dear Lord, I plainly understand that it was by my own choice that thou hast condescended to suffer thyself to be seized with this mortal anguish. It was for my instruction that thou mightest suffer so much the more for my sake. I adore thee under this weakness, if I may be allowed to call it so, no less than on thy throne of glory, because it is here that I better discover thy infinite love for me. Consider, secondly, how our dear Savior, under this anguish and sadness, betakes himself to prayer as the only refuge under afflictions, the only shield in the day of battle. But take notice, my soul, with what reverence he prays, prostrate on the ground, to his eternal Father, and with what fervor, with a loud cry and tears, says the Apostle, Hebrews 5, 7. Learn then to imitate him. In this prayer he condescended so far as to apply his inferior part to perdition, that the cup of his bitter passion might be removed from him. But then he immediately added, Yet not my will, but thine be done, to teach us under all trials and crosses a perfect submission and resignation to the divine will. Consider thirdly how our Savior interrupted twice his prayer to come and visit his disciples, but found them both times asleep. Ah, my soul, and is it not thy case also to sleep, that is, to indulge thyself in a slothful, sensual way of living? whereas the whole life of thy Savior was spent in laboring for thy salvation, and all he then suffered, he suffered for thee. Ah, pity now at least his comfortless condition, whilst on the one hand his father seems deaf to his prayers, and on the other his disciples are too drowsy to afford him the least attention. In this desolate state an angel from heaven appears to comfort him, who is the joy of angels. Oh, what humility! But what kind of comfort, think you, did this angel bring? no other but the representing to him the will of his eternal father, and humbly entreating him in the name of heaven and earth not to decline the imparting to poor sinners by his infinite love the plentiful redemption for which he came into the world and to undergo the ignomies and torments of one short day's continuance with the prospect of promoting the salvation of mankind and the eternal glory and honor which the Godhead should receive from his sufferings. Let the like consideration of the will of God, his greater honor and glory, and the good of thy own soul comfort thee also under all thy anguish and crosses. There can be no comfort more solid. Consider fourthly the mortal agony which our Savior suffered in his soul this night during his prayer. We may judge of his pains and anguish by the wonderful effect they produced in his body, by casting him into so prodigious a sweat of blood as to imbue the very ground on which he lay prostrate. Sweet Jesus, who ever heard of such an agony? But what thinkest thou, my soul, was the true cause of all this anguish and the bitter agony of thy Savior? Chiefly these. First, a clear view and a lively representation of all that he was to suffer during the whole course of his passion, so that all the ignominies and torments that he was afterwards successively to undergo were now all at once presented before the eyes of his soul, with all their respective aggravations, by which means he suffered his whole bitter passion twice over, once at the hands of his enemies, and at the other time by his own most clear and lively imagination of all that he had to suffer. But why, dear Jesus, these additional agonies? Tis only thy love can answer. Another cause that contributed to our Savior's anguish 
was a distinct view of the sins of the whole world from the first to the last of the horrid crimes and abominations of mankind all now laid to his charge to be cancelled by the last drop of his blood ah how hideous how detestable were all these hellish monsters in the eyes of our saviour who alone had a just notion of their enormity by having always before him a clear sight of the infinite majesty by them offended o lord how great a share has not my sins had in this tragical scene how much alas did they contribute to thy pains and grief a third cause of our saviour's agony was the foreknowledge he had of the little use christians would make of all his sufferings he foresaw that blindness and hardness of heart by which they would pervert this antidote into a mortal poison and tread his blood under their feet as well as the eternal loss of so many millions of souls for which he was to die all these sad and melancholy thoughts assailing at once the soul of our redeemer cast him into a mortal agony and forced from him those streams of blood ah christians pity now the anguish of your saviour and resolve never more to have any hand in afflicting his tender soul by sin twenty-sixth day on our saviour in the court of caiaphas consider first how our saviour arising from his prayer after having conquered all his fears returns to his disciples bidding them now sleep on and take the rest for that his hour was come and that the traitor was just at hand but thou dear lord when wilt thou enjoy rest or peace not till the last sleep of death on the hard bed of the cross contemplate christians the courage and readiness which our saviour shows to suffer for you by going forth to meet the traitor and his band behold with what meekness he receives the treacherous kiss of peace and yet to make it evident that no power upon earth could arrest him but with his own free will with the force of two words ego sum i am he he struck down the whole multitude that was come to apprehend him making them all reel backward and fall to the ground after which he delivered himself into their hands and they having bound him dragged him along into the city whilst his disciples fled and abandoned him leaving him in the hands of his enemies who presented him first before Ananias, the father-in-law of the high priest where he was struck by a vile servant who struck him on the face from thence they led him to the court of caiaphas where the chief priests and the elders were assembled longing to see this new prisoner before them determined right or wrong to make away with him follow thou the saviour o my soul now abandoned by all his friends contemplate this meek lamb loaded with their scoffs and insults in the midst of ravenous wolves but carry the eyes of thy understanding still farther view the interior of his soul and see the joy and satisfaction he takes in complying with the will of his eternal father and suffering for thee and learn from thence to have the like dispositions in all thy sufferings consider secondly how our lord was no sooner brought to the court of caiaphas the high priest where the great council of the sanhedrin were assembled but immediately after a scornful welcome they proceed to his trial and call in the false witnesses who were to dispose against him but behold the providence of god see the force of truth and the wonderful innocence of this lamb of god notwithstanding the malice of this impious court and their witnesses men of neither honour nor conscience yet all that they could allege against him was either insignificant 
or they could not agree in their story, which made their testimonies of no weight. But whilst thou adorest this providence, behold and admire the meekness and patience of thy Saviour, who remained silent under all the provocations given by these false witnesses, giving thereby a most convincing proof of his being more than a man, who could thus calmly hold his peace, whilst his reputation and life were both attacked by palpable calumnies. The malice of our Saviour's enemies being thus confounded, the high priest arises and adjures him by the living God to tell him whether he was the Christ, the Son of God. In reverence to which adorable name, our Lord made a solemn confession and profession of the truth, teaching by his example all his followers, when called to be the like trial, never to be ashamed of him or his faith. Upon this Caiaphas rends his garments, crying out, Blasphemy! And they all pronounced him worthy of death. But thou, my soul, let us on the contrary cry out with the angels and all the elect of God. Revelation 5.12 The Lamb that was slain is worthy to receive power and divinity and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and benediction from all creatures forever. Consider thirdly how the unjust sentence against our Redeemer was no sooner pronounced by the great council, but immediately they all, with unheard of barbarity, fell upon him, more like furies of hell than men, discharging upon him all kinds of injuries, blows, affronts, and blasphemy. See, my soul, how these hellhounds spit in the face of thy Savior, and disgorge their filthy phlegm on that sacred forehead where beauty and majesty sit. Behold how they buffet, kick, and strike him with merciless rage, whilst he, with his hands tied behind him, is not able to ward off one blow, nor has any friend present to wipe his face or afford him any other help. See how they muffle up his face with a filthy rag, and then in derision, as if he were a mock prophet or impostor, at every blow bid him prophesy who it was that struck him, besides many other affronts, which he endured with an invincible patience and fortitude. Consider fourthly that of all our Saviour's sufferings in the court of Caiaphas, none touched him so much to the quick as the fall of Peter, the chief of his apostles, who had received the most signal favors from him, who, after having boasted that very night that though all the rest of his disciples should abandon their master, he would never forsake him, and that he would sooner die with them than deny him. Yet behold the weakness and inconstancy of human nature at the voice of a silly maid, he immediately denies his master, repeats his denial a second, a third time, and even asserts with oaths and imprecations that he never knew the man. Sweet Jesus, what is man? Alas, O Lord, look to me and support me by thy grace, or I also shall deny thee. The causes of Peter's fall were, first, the secret pride and presumption upon his own strength, secondly, a neglect of the admonition of our Savior, in sleeping when he admonished him to watch and pray. Thirdly, in exposing himself to the danger by running into ill company. Beware that the like causes do not produce the like effects in thee, but he leading thee also to deny and even crucify the Lord by sin. Learn to imitate the speedy repentance of this apostle, who immediately after his fall, going out, wept bitterly, a practice which it is said he ever after retained, as often as he heard the crock crow. Consider fifthly how the high priest and scribes, after having pronounced sentence of death against our Savior, retired to take their rest, leaving him in the hands that were not likely to suffer him to take any rest. Oh, what a night did our Lord pass in the midst of such a rabble, who, to gratify their own cruelty and the malice of their masters, repeated over and over again 
that scene of inhumanity which they had begun whilst their masters were present loading him with all kinds of outrages and blasphemies so that we may boldly affirm that one half of what our saviour suffered on that night will not be known till the day of judgment all which insolences he not only bears in silence but even whilst they are abusing him he prays for them excusing them to his father and offering up all his sufferings in atonement for their sins sweet jesus give us the grace to imitate thee end of days twenty four through twenty six